0: Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with the living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I am joined by Tamara Lucid, musician, riot girl, documentary film producer, and author of the recently published Making the Ordinary Extraordinary, My Seven Years in Occult Los Angeles with Manley Palmer Hall. Along with talking about her experience with Mr. Hall, Tamara discusses his wife, Marie, who is a mystic and philosopher in her own right. We talk about the value of dusty old books, the importance of wisdom over smarts, and music as a metaphysical experiment. Tamara Lucid is a founding member of the experimental rock band, Lucid Nation. She was a writer and editor for Newtopia magazine and the principal interviewer for the original reality sandwich. Tamara Zine writing was published in several compilations, including A Girl's Guide to Taking Over the World, Writings from the Girl Zine Revolution, Zine Scene, and Riot Girl, Revolution Girl Style Now. She has produced documentary films including Exile Nation, The Plastic People, End of the Line the Women of Standing Rock, and the award-winning Viva Cuba Libra, Rap is War, an award-winning documentary about Cuban hip-hop legend Los Aldeanos. Tamara is also the author of Making the Ordinary Extraordinary, My Seven Years in a Cult Los Angeles with Manly Palmer Hall, which is her first book. Tamara, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio.
1: Thank you, Nicholas.
0: Okay. Thank you. I'm very much looking forward to speaking with you today. Uh, and I wanted to congratulate you on your book. Uh, it was quite an enjoyable read. Uh, the book is very fast paced. And I thought though, that the writing style uh, perfectly captured uh, the character of a specific time in Los Angeles. Um, so I hope everyone runs out and buys a copy of this book. It was a true, <laughs> true joy to read. Ah, oh, thank you. So I want to begin with the uh, person who the book is largely about. And uh, as you wrote in the book, uh, Manley Palmer Hall wrote uh, more than 150 books and pamphlets. He was an active public speaker. Uh, videos of many of his lectures are still available online. I was actually watching one or listening mm-hmm. to one uh, in preparation for this. Uh, His 1942 lecture, The Secret Destiny of America, uh, you said set an attendance record at Carnegie Hall Mm -hmm. and his book, and I'm going to give the full title here, uh, an encyclopedic outline of Masonic, Hermetic, Kabbalistic and Rosicrucian symbolic philosophy, which is more widely known as the secret teachings of all ages, has never gone out of print and is still influential. Yeah, you also noted that Manly Palmer Hall remains relatively obscure and unknown. So who was Manly Palmer Hall? Hmm.
1: I think he he was an incredibly intelligent man. Started out as a very intelligent young man raised by his grandma. Um, When she passed away, he came to LA and he kind of invented himself in a, um, in a way that was, he could satisfy his desire for knowledge. So he he was always on this this perpetual journey um, of discovering uh, great culture, great philosophical thought, um, how the human being tries to find a place in life that is healthy, rewarding, rewarding not just on the physical level, but rewarding on... A spiritual level, a mental level, keeping your mind active and and things like that. So he, he I think he managed to take um, his own inclinations towards always learning, and turn that into a vocation, which you know is kind of wonderful. Do what you love, mm-hmm. you know, is is really what it comes down to, and what he loved happened to be of great benefit to other people. I think he he started a little bit. A little bit on the occult side, it was it was, you know, fanciful and interesting and entertaining, but he soon figured out that that was kind of superficial Mm -hmm. and it was more the philosophical side of it that was really what was the best of of what all that had to offer. So maybe something like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, it mirrors the impression that I got when I was reading your book which was that he was a lifelong seeker, yeah. uh, even though he wrote, you know, extensively and he lectured every week. You said that it was a ninety-minute lecture uh, yeah. every Sunday. He he doesn't. When you listen to his lectures and everything you wrote in your book, he does not come across as like a guru or mm-hmm. a self-proclaimed spiritual leader but rather someone who was genuinely interested in searching for knowledge and sharing that knowledge with a larger audience.
1: Yeah, it, exactly. That. It, it, he was just, exp- I think in a way it was just, he was sharing the joy he found in all this stuff. You know, isn't it fascinating? Isn't this interesting? Isn't that a beautiful concept? Imagine if we took that and apply that in our lives, how much better our lives could be you know and i think he he taught that straight through you know even to the end he was just it was just that kind of guy you know it's it's sharing this beautiful information with as many people as possible hopefully benefiting others
0: and that's rare i think these days
1: it's always been rare I <laughs> yeah think it's yeah, always okay. been rare
0: yeah that's fair that's fair uh, but along those lines and I, i'm not entirely sure how to express this there's something, you know, timeless. I don't know if that's the right word, uh, maybe anachronistic about Manly Palmer Hall. You know, you wrote that you were still surprised to discover that he was still alive after you initially discovered the secret teachings of all ages. Yeah. And I feel something similar. It doesn't seem possible that he died just a little over three years ago. Yeah. It seems like he belongs to a totally different age.
1: Yeah no it, it it well i mean he's he's bringing up aristotle and he's bringing mm-hmm. up plato and he's all these people through the ages as it were that same lineage of thought that that transcends time mm-hmm. um this is uh, what would you call it this is the soul evolving
2: mm-hmm.
1: this is what we have been doing and and Striving for since we all sat around the fire for protection and warmth, and we're going to remember our ancestors now. And we only had the stories at first. Then we went to cave paintings, and we moved on from there. Books are awful nice when you <laughs> think about it. Yeah. Um, and and Google search is even better when it, when, you, when used correctly. So it, it's simply the trans the transmission of information. Um, that's that's why I equated um, it was like being in a, a a honeybee hive everybody's saying where the best flowers are you know wanted to, wanting to share the information on the, the good stuff that makes us better that helps feed us um, so this is the soul going through time um, that's why it seems timeless it's it's more of a soul searching hmm. a soul adventure and um, so you can relate to it as if it's They're with you. And then it also seems like it's something beyond time. So maybe that's how I describe it.
0: Okay. yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And I had in my notes uh, one of the things that I noted down as I was listening uh, to one of his lectures. And uh, just for clarity, the title of the lecture that I was listening to was The Search for Man's Natural Religion. And the note, I, what I noted down was timeless truths. <laughs> ah, there you go. <laughs> so we're on the same wavelength here, I think. Um, so uh, you wrote. He that, also
1: he translated stuff so beautifully, okay. yeah. you know, had such a way with that. And, and again, making it timeless.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Listening to us, him speak, I was very impressed as well with his speaking skills.
1: Oh, isn't it? Doesn't he have a beautiful voice?
0: Yeah, he has a beautiful voice, and he, there were no verbal pauses. Yeah, no ums or uh's. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: that that, you know, doing these interviews, and I hear myself doing the ums and and oh. stuff, and I, I think of that man and his massive skill set with that, and it's boggling. You know, it's like Mr. Hall was all right. He was really good at what he did.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like he was born to do it. I think, you know, finding um, our
1: natural place. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you first became aware of him when you discovered a copy of the secret teaching of all ages while browsing at the Bodhi tree bookstore in West Hollywood. Ronnie and, found that book. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I know this is a little bit off topic. I mean, not really. Um, Go ahead. but um, you know, it's bad form on a podcast to take a moment of silence. Um, but I thought that uh-huh. maybe we could take a few seconds to commemorate and commiserate perhaps about the dearly departed Bodhi Tree bookstore.
1: <sighs> yeah. I really miss the Bodhi Tree.
0: Oh, so do I. I I discovered it very shortly after I moved to Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, When I first moved here, I lived right at Wilshire and Fairfax. Oh, there we go. And I'm a bit of an anomaly. I like to walk everywhere. Oh, so I would just walk around. And, you know, Melrose isn't too far really from Wilshire. Uh, And that's how I found the Bodie Tree bookstore. And, you know, I've been for a while in my doctoral work, I was focusing on uh, religions of South Asia. Mm. And I've been to Nepal a few times. And whenever I'm in Kathmandu, I go to the Pilgrim's bookstore.
1: Do you know how... How unbelievably cool that sounds to someone like me. (laughs) When I'm in Kathmandu, I happen to go to this one bookstore I know.
0: Yeah. Well, 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 the Pilgrim's bookstore is a little bit of a chain, I think. There may be like four or five locations. Mostly it's in India. Uh, Yeah, but the ones
1: in Kathmandu. Yeah, yeah,
0: uh, right. Yeah. Um, But the point is (laughs) that I wanted to make is that, you know, I would always bring back, you know, just tons of books. And I could find books there about South Asian religions that I couldn't find anywhere else. And right. I didn't think it was possible to find them anywhere in the United States. And uh-huh. then I discovered the Bodhi Tree Bookstore. Yeah. And it was like being back at the Pilgrim's Bookstore in Kathmandu. Yeah. Uh, I was so impressed and I was so heartbroken when it when it uh, shut its doors.
1: Yeah. I mean, th- walking through that big door, it, it was walking into the entire world and their taste, um, the books they selected, um, the depth and the breadth and the quality of what they offered. And I mean, the, you'd always go to the, the the new arrivals table. That was mm-hmm. just, you know, let's go, let's do oh, yeah. this. And you probably spend an hour there. Then you go back to, okay, I came here for a reason. What was it? Oh yeah, this. <laughs> Um, and then spend an hour over there and, Oh, I love that place. And just the way the floor creaked and the way new books, that new book smell, there's mm-hmm. something about that new book smell. Old books are kind of different. And sometimes it's like, Whoa, there were mothballs in there, Right. <clears throat> but, but the new books, Oh my goodness. Oh, oh, it's, it's a beautiful smell, but yeah, I, what they offered to everyone by, being purveyors of books was unparalleled. It really just unparalleled. Yeah. I just loved that place.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like it is a great cultural loss to Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh- and yeah. uh yeah and they also had the i don't know what it was called the annex maybe of the used books next used door bookstore, yeah yeah um uh, so quite a bit of my library well not quite a bit but a, a bit of my library came from there um,
1: i did a hell of a library out of yeah. that, that used yeah. bookstore yeah. yeah. also one of my favorite things about the used bookstore was the used cookbooks you can tell hmm. so much about culture and people by the used cookbooks mm-hmm. You know not only do you get the cookbook itself with the recipes but then you have the former owners that put all the notes in there and put all their coupons in there or writings about their families i mean you'd find things you'd be oh my god maybe they should go to the family instead of being here at the used bookstore but it was a fascinating study in humanity reading the cookbooks
0: yeah well, and that reminds me, you you include a recipe at the end of your book. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, which I like, and I think it is connected to that. It gives you a real sense of Manly Palmer Hall and his wife, uh, who I do want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, giving a recipe is just, you know, you can enjoy something that they enjoyed.
1: Yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was his. That was one of his favorite. No, ours too. Yeah. Um, but Marie cooking up a meal while talking about the space mother principle <laughs> or, you know, listen, girl, I'm going to tell you something right now. It's like, I yeah. have yeah. got well, something to say. Yeah. Better listen.
0: Yeah. I, and I do want to talk about her because I, I did, I knew nothing about her. I didn't know yeah. much about Manly Palmer hall. I was familiar with uh, secret teachings mm-hmm. and uh, I'm familiar with the philosophical research society. I did a uh, lecture series there. Um, Cool. 2015, um, I think it was. It wasn't the greatest experience. Nothing about them at all. It was just the worst year of my life. Um, Oh
1: well, then yeah. (laughs) um,
0: Yeah. But but, you know, I, I I I had known about the Philosophical Research Society even before then and i was really thrilled to be invited to do a, a series uh, with them so i want to get into uh, prs a little bit but since you mentioned marie let's talk about marie uh, you said that she seemed to be her husband's intellectual equal and you also described her as the first riot girl you ever met
1: oh yeah that was that was a funny realization because you're you're sitting you're going over your your, your memory of this person and then coupled with The experience you had in a completely different place and suddenly the realization comes over you oh my god she's just like a riot girl (laughs) and and then when i i did that list of things i i was kind of stunned i didn't realize it at the time but you know yeah she was she was pretty much right there um and she would have you know definitely been in a band had a lot of zines and and probably taken over the world if she had half a chance <laughs> and um i riot girl might have afforded her that chance so
0: mm, yeah. it
1: might have been a very different world we're in right now
0: <laughs> yeah yeah we, we we still need riot girls very badly um uh, but she had her own philosophy didn't she uh was it like similar to what uh manly palmer hall was uh teaching or was she kind of on her own she was on her own
1: it was not similar she she was very very strict about uh uh-uh it's not like now on a level yes it was very much like a lot of mystics um she had a mystical experience Hmm. um this was also a mystical experience that was colored by Um, trauma. So Marie was very much speaking what I think of as um, trauma symbology. Mm. When people go through trauma, um, it's very difficult for them to express not only the reality of what they went through, but the reality that they're experiencing now. Reality itself. But they are expressing it in a um, defensive manner. So she found a revelation, she had a revelation and she thought that via this revelation, if she could let the world know about it, um, it would change the world. Um, now, is that Marie just having a personal revelation that if she can incorporate this revelate personal re- revelation, she can now deal with the world and be free in it once again, instead of being hammered by the trauma? Well, we won't know now, but what she took out of that personal revelation, she created a religious theory, hmm. basically what I would call religious theory. And it was, it was an extraordinary thing to, to listen to her speak, to have her delineate what that was. Um, she would pull out these diagrams and she would lay across this, this big drafting board table these diagrams that were um, consciousness is, is the only way to describe it. And basically I think of it as almost like the physics of consciousness, the math of consciousness, and um, which you know isn't easy to understand, let alone conceptualize and explain to people, she could do it though. Hmm. You were sitting there, now for me, really super lofty intellectual stuff kind of leaves me cold. It's like, eh, it's, it's, it just doesn't, it doesn't spin my wheels. I like more solid, what makes things better? If I feel bad, what makes me better? Um, that kind of practical stuff. But she, she was like, no, no, no. I, I'm, I'm here to absolutely shake you down to your DNA, make you realize that This is what the world really is functioning from and um, get a load of God my way. That was her.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I found. uh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I found some of her works on uh, Amazon. Um, Oh, you did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting read. I'll tell you that much.
0: (laughs) Be ready for quite some kind of ride. Yeah. Well, even now, Philosophers are still struggling with the question of consciousness and the fact that she was writing about this and mapping it out Mm -hmm. 40, 50 years ago is incredibly impressive.
1: Also, like I said, this is somebody who did the math of consciousness. That's a pretty lofty endeavor.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think she did it very well.
0: Yeah, I want to explore her, I think. That, <laughs> um, did she ever lecture at the Philosophical Research Society, or is this all uh, information that only sort of friends were aware of?
1: Do you want me to quote her? Sure. About lecturing?
0: <laughs> yeah, sure.
1: Oh, Papa, I get too excited. She, <laughs> she just, she, um, at, you know, she at, just like I just did right now, demonstrated when she would try and start talking about it, it was very complex. Hmm. And it it was like geometry actually. Yeah. She'd just get too excited. She, she'd sidetrack on stuff, little details. And so she was not a speaker. She was not a lecturer. She wasn't good at it. And that would be part of her aggravation with Mr. Hall would be, Oh, Papa could, he had the good looks and he had the ability and you know, all that, so, um, and he did, mm-hmm. <laughs> she was right about that. Um, but she, she was not good at that. She Also, she, as I showed that Jean Houston moment, she, she also didn't have that, that quick um, ability to just jump off and go with whatever the conversation was doing she would get her point and she'd want to get her point across and that would take her down a rabbit hole a lot mm-hmm. of times. So, um, I think in the beginning, maybe in the fifties, tried to do lectures, but it just was not her forte.
0: Yeah. I, I just feel like, um, digging around a- in
1: graveyards were her, was her forte <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> scaring the locals.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just feel like there's, uh, something there that needs to be uh, brought to light. I think, mm-hmm. um, uh, so and Mr. I,
1: Hall, we asked Mr. Hall,
0: without her in, in present, um,
1: you know, what do you think of Marie's work? And he said, she's probably in the lineage of great Christian mystics.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, that, that's, that's what it sounds like to me. And he seemed to really appreciate and consider what she had to say very valuable.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy to hear that, <laughs> um, because at that time, you know, in that generation, uh, men were not always as supportive of the intellectual inquiries of their mm-hmm. wives. You know? Yeah, that wasn't done. Right. <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> Women aren't supposed to be intellectual. Hey, back in the 80s, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I have a quote here and it's completely out of context, but it's right after my notes about Marie. And maybe you can shed light on this. And I think it may be a quote of hers or maybe it's uh, something you wrote, but it is women would wake humanity from the nightmare of history.
1: I th- yeah, I think that's Marie. Okay. Yeah, she, she was she was all about the ladies, the compassion of the female, all that good stuff. That that would be the, sa- that, that's the savior of humankind. Hmm. Until that is allowed to be an equal part of the human experience. The human experience is lopsided and ineffective. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's right. Yeah. <laughs> she's absolutely right. Yeah. She's right. You know, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um, let's uh, kind of step back a little bit and uh, you, you discovered this book and you and uh, Ronnie, who would eventually become your husband, Uh, You began studying this book, um, Mm -hmm. and you learned that uh, Manley Palmer Hall lectured every Sunday at the Philosophical Research Society in uh, Los Feliz, and uh, you went to one of the lectures. And what was your first experience of uh, hearing Manley Palmer Hall speak? I didn't think it was Mr. Hall. (laughs) Why not?
1: I don't. Maybe it was the pressure. I thought possibly I was just in one of those, um, what would you call it, that grogginess that PTSD causes. Hmm. So now when he was speaking, I had a classic Manly Palmer Hall experience, which is it was like he was talking right at me. He mentioned something that I had noticed as I was walking to the lecture, flowers growing out of a crack in cement. Then he described the um, the way the human soul is like a flower that flowers out of cement would, it's kind of stunning when you know you're thinking something you don't mention it and then you hear a lecture and it's mentioned in the lecture and it looks mm. like he's looking at you right but same thing happened to ronnie right. um, during that lecture and then of course turning around and looking at ronnie and saying you know who was that guy because he was great i really like this guy but you know, if Mr. Hall is anything like this, and Ronnie was kind of um, confused at that point. No, that that was Manly Hall. Oh, really? He's great. I like this guy. All right. You know, so little fun adventure right there.
0: For sure. And so, um, uh, after this, uh, at uh, shortly after this, I think uh, you and Ronnie began volunteering um, yeah. at the Philosophical Research Society. Yeah. And uh, just a a few words about the Philosophical Research Society for anyone outside of the Los Angeles area. Uh, It was founded in 1934, I believe. Uh, It is uh, a historical cultural monument Mm -hmm. uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, It's a small building, but it's got really unique architecture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was there, This just I just remembered this. Um, I don't know if I had gone there just to check things out or, or to check it out, uh, or if I was there for a meeting, but I remember one time I was there, there were some uh, tourists, uh, I believe they were German tourists, uh, that were familiar with banley Palmer Hall, and they were there taking pictures of the, of the campus. So I know that pe- there are people outside of Los Angeles that are familiar with it. It had uh, Manley Palmer Hall had collected a pretty impressive library and uh, he had something I think was over 50,000 volumes Yeah, Uh, and he had uh, alchemical books. I I know that there's a rumor. I don't know if there's any validity to it, but there's a rumor that Carl Young contacted them uh, about obtaining uh, some facsimiles of some of the alchemical books. Uh, you, you spent quite a bit of time in that library didn't you
1: yeah yeah oh that Carl Young story is fabulous yeah I wonder if that's true
0: I you know I it seems like it could be
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know it does not at all seem outside of the realm of possibility. Mm hmm yeah and so right now the um i know there are still books at the library um because i've been in that library too Uh, i just wanted to you know set up a tent and hang out for uh, a couple months um right yeah i know but i think the getty research institute is now in possession of most if not all of the alchemical manuscripts yeah do you know if that's true yes it is okay all right yeah
1: i i'm so glad they've got it um yeah yeah that those those manuscripts and and some of those books are are they're priceless mm-hmm. um they should be in the care of of the best facility possible they're, that's that's a um human history thing <laughs> right that's yeah, that's for sure so valuable
0: mm-hmm. yeah no i I totally agree. Yeah. The Philosophical Research Society, my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but, and this actually is going to connect to a couple of questions I've got for you, but I think that Manley Palmer Hall, he wanted to grow the campus, if I understand correctly, Uh, they were unable to for several different reasons, but he also had this vision of, I think, creating an accredited Sort of institution for people. Yeah,
1: yeah, huh? that was <clears throat> definitely part of a plan, but it wasn't set in stone. He, he was. I, I really think that that was more. Now, Pat Irvin, she was a vice president, and I think she was going for the accreditation. This way, it would go on. It would be able to make a living. <laughs> um, it would be self sufficient. Um, it would keep revenue, revenue coming in. She was trying to keep the business of keeping the, bu- the doors open. Mm-hmm. And, but he was, he was very detached about it. He, he was very much, you know, once I'm gone, it, I don't care. It, it doesn't matter. I'm mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. My work is done. That was my work and let the chips fall where they may.
0: Well, wow, that's really interesting. Um, I know that when I delivered the lecture series for them back in 2015, uh, this is when Obadiah Harris was the president. And I think Mm -hmm. he took over after uh, Hall died. Yeah. Um, They had changed their name to the University of Philosophical Research. Uh, Because they really were trying to get that accreditation, and uh, the person that I worked with uh, was uh, Debashish Banerjee, and they were really trying to do, I think, online uh, degrees, Um, and they had, I think it was it was either a California accreditation or a national online accreditation. I think it may have been that they they didn't have any of the regional. Uh, but I remember uh, Debashish is like, "Oh, we're we're almost there. We're almost there." Oh boy! <laughs> um, but I, I, that all I think fell apart yeah. uh, after Obadiah passed away. Yeah. Um, I know that Sheesh is now chairing the East-West uh, Psychology Program uh, at the California Institute of Integral Studies up in San Francisco. Wow. Um, uh, they have completely changed um, their model now. And I, I'm kind of curious. Uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is when Manly Palmer Hall, when he would deliver his Sunday lectures, how big was the audience it was on average? Packed? packed?
1: Uh, yeah, I was always packed.
0: Okay. Um, I,
1: I cannot recall in the time that I was there a Sunday that it was not just standing room only. There were always just a ton of people there. Hmm. Um, the rest of us, lecturers and stuff, not so much. Right. Um, Professor Heller, Doctor Heller would would um, bring in a steady group of people that love studying under him. Um, Roger Weir would bring in a pretty steady group. That's all I knew of. I mean, the most it was very much. Um, when anyone else lectured it it was it was always it's always seemed to be rather small and and um when ronnie would lecture there were it's just you know people who they liked that lecturer and the specialty so that was a a a more refined group a a limited but it was manly hall's place
0: right yeah when i did my lecture series i think i had two people show up oh my god (laughs) But, that, you know, that has
1: to, you got to do flyers like a punk yeah, show. Oh, I okay? know,
0: I know, I know. It, well, it was, it was a learning lesson for me. And um, uh, they actually I kind of co-taught uh, one of their online classes. Yeah. And they, uh, Obadiah Harris was teaching a class for, uh, I forget what it is. Uh, it was an online class and they wanted me to take it over for him. But the requirement was that I have my PhD already. And it took me quite a while to finish that thing. And I felt really bad because I kept having to turn them down Um, and then they just stopped contacting me. (laughs) Um, uh, But I've noticed that since then they've changed things quite a bit. And Mm -hmm. so I'm kind of curious as to how attendance is now for things. I I, I don't know if you've uh, ever gone back since your experiences, uh, if you have any more uh, current experience with the PRS. Uh, but I know they now have like a, a scholar in residence. Uh, I think a year ago was Mitch Horowitz. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget who it is now. And it seems like, and they've got a uh, online presence as well.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, on YouTube, so I'm I'm wondering if they're starting to get more people. Um, uh, I also went to one of their workshops. It was a tarot workshop, and there was about nine people at that. I
1: think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have no idea
0: yeah i I did
1: not go back um i've had a little contact with um mr horowitz and um i asked of course permission to reprint mr hall's writing Mm -hmm. from prs and they were very gracious to me mr horowitz was really gracious to me wrote some kind words about the book but i'm i'm not i you know going back i when i left i left when i had that's just the way it was yeah and going back there i mean you know seeing his office or seeing his chair yeah. i don't want to do that yeah
0: yeah <laughs> you know? yeah I, I can understand that i can understand that quite it's a like bit. going
1: to a graveyard even yeah. even they all, all often the spiritists say yeah you know the dead people don't like you going going to the graveyard going oh there he is it's like mm-hmm. that's not me you know right. so yeah that that's that's his old stuff and mm-hmm. you know
0: that yeah, that's not sure.
1: what i remember
0: yeah yeah when i i thought that might be the case um yeah uh, but along those lines i uh, what prompted you to write this book because you did go back in a way to revisit this in a sense yeah us oh, arthur's
1: fault arthur <laughs> arthur made me do it and, yeah. and who's arthur Arthur Johnson, and he was Mr. Hall's driver and he also lectured at PRS. He was a great guitar player and he was our friend, Ronnie and and mine, and um, he volunteered also at PRS, musician. He was in the process of, he was transitioning and he would call us and say, now listen kids, don't be like your Uncle Norm over here. I've got all kinds of of writing. I never did a damn thing with it. You know, he would, and he, he he would scold me. He was scolding me and, and saying, you had a unique experience. You have to write this down. It's important. And, um, you know, that's, that's, a it was heavy handed. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, at first I didn't take it seriously. At first I was like, Arthur, stop it. You know, stop it. And he was like, no, I'm serious. And he really was serious. And then I had to take it seriously. And then I wrote it, it just it just happened. Circumstances were that I was working with a storyteller at the time. And he's a great storyteller, teller Waris Hussain working on, on screenplays basically. Mm-hmm. And then there was also uh, someone else, um, Isis Aquarian. And, she, she had befriended us and she was also on, talking in the other ear, saying, Tamara, you had a, a unique experience with Manley Hall. You, you really should write this down. And so I had them both, you know, poking at me, going, you should do this, girl. And I, I, I I'm, like I said, I was also working on storytelling with a great storyteller. And I had some downtime because the pandemic hit. And I thought, hey, maybe I should write that story down now. <laughs> um, and that's, that's how it happened. Um, it was, you know, circumstance, circumstances. And it's like, well, we ain't going to be playing with any musicians in 2020. So uh, maybe we should go back on the writing stuff. Hey, chops are up. Let's do that. Okay. And wrote the
0: book. <laughs> Uh, did, did you find that writing the book was uh, cathartic for you? Uh, did it help you process uh, the years that you were friends with the halls? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah,
1: yeah I, that that basically was once I left that life, I left it. You know, except for getting the news about when he passed, mm-hmm. um, it was just'm I'm, I'm, I'm done. you know that we're right. not going back there. We can't. Right. Um, have got to have this whole new life. And I, I proceeded with my life as such, you know, that now I'm in a new life. Now mm-hmm. it's time, time to walk a different path.
0: According to what you wrote in the book, the friendship seemed to come to, I, I don't know if it was an abrupt end. Um, <laughs> it, it kind of seemed that way um and i know you had concerns uh about uh, one person in particular mm-hmm. um I, I was wondering if you could maybe say something uh about this maybe the last time that you spoke with the halls
1: well the last time i spoke with the halls mm-hmm. or the last time i spoke <laughs> what sealed the you're out of your deal
0: yeah let's go with that
1: okay so yeah i when I met uh Fritz I I don't call him Daniel Fritz I don't call him Daniel it's Fritz Mm
2: -hmm.
1: saw him twice and I just had a bad feeling about the dude I, Mm -hmm. I don't know what what to tell you but I was just every time I saw him I was like something's wrong here something's really 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 wrong that came
0: across in the book.
2: Yeah,
1: I bet it did. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of the process, Nicholas. Mm-hmm.
0: Sure. <laughs> sure.
1: Um, the third time I saw that man, I was just like, okay, hell no. That, and unfortunately um, I went right into Mr. Hall with Ronnie and I just had a meltdown. Mm-hmm. I, I did the worst thing you can do. Um, in one of those situations, I lost it. Right. And I the, i told you about the cats, didn't I? <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, I kind of sounded like that at, at first. Um, and I, I describe it as going through the seven stages of death. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just, I promised that we would leave. The process of leaving PRS had been going on for a really long time and we were still there. Mm-hmm. Mr. Hall said, look you guys, it's time for you to go. You're young kids. We're all old. We're all dying. And you got to get, mm-hmm. get your head around that. Mm-hmm. And you don't need to be here while I go through this with my flock. I'm taking my flock home. I'm going. You should get out of here before this gets sad. Okay. You've already seen a lot of stuff here. Go on. You're young. Get out. Um, uh, the most compassionate thing you can imagine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: However... We weren't leaving that quick and and we kept we kept doing work for him and um but i saw fritz the third time went in the office with ronnie had a meltdown and i actually blurted out and i don't know where i got this i said i think he's going to kill you
2: hmm.
1: and mr hall just had enough he just put his hand up like when, when mr hall was done he always put his hand up like a traffic cop and he went. that's enough. And I was just I was panicked. I was absolutely panicked. I looked around, you know, dart, my little eyes darting around, you know, isn't anybody gonna back me up here. <laughs> um, Edith was standing there in the, in the doorway looking at me like I had, you know, to quote the poet lobsters grown out my ears. <laughs> I, I'd lost my mind. And I went mad like Marie Marie was noted for her madness. And I knew I couldn't go back after that. I absolutely humiliated myself. I'd always been so calm. I'd hmm. always, you know, been okay. You know, but that right. I lost it.
0: Yeah. And but you knew though. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I, I knew the guy was true. I mean, you know, I write about it in the book when Ronnie yeah. told me that Mr. Hall was gone, he'd read about it in the paper of all mm-hmm. things. And, and um, you know, Being the sniper that I am, I said, you know, I said, Ronnie went Mr. Hall and I went, he's gone, right? Yeah. And he was like, yeah. And I said, was it Fritz? And he went, yeah. I was just, oh, my God, no. (laughs) You know, it's it's a terrible thing to be right about something, you know?
0: Sure. Yeah. And well, you know, in your response, it was you knew and you cared. You cared so much. I um, didn't
1: know. How could
0: I, that's not knowing there's no yeah. proof. Mr. Hall asked uh, if there was proof. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there are, I think, don't you title this Cassandra uh, in the, in the book? Isn't that what the, that's what the title <laughs> of the book
1: was going to be? Yeah. That was not uh, making the ordinary extraordinary was not the original title. I came up, I wanted to be Cassandra Yeah. Um, because yeah. I'll give you the gift of prophecy and nobody's going to believe you, girl. Yeah,
0: yeah <laughs> for sure. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's an app title. Um, and It was a, a chapter title at the very least. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I, I really didn't know much about the death of Manly Palmer Hall. Um, I, I'd seen a few videos on YouTube, I think, that addressed it. And uh, I also recently discovered what Marie wrote. Um, and that she published that she believed that he had been murdered.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I look that kind of that's senior abuse. Yeah. You know, can we can we take a, a, a glance back at what happened with Stan Lee? Um, st- my God, this happens all the time. Somebody comes in, they take advantage of a vulnerable human being, and suddenly they're the sole heir to the whole estate. Mm-hmm. Um and it happens in small ways and it happens on big scale ways. Um, but I, I mean, yeah, I still, oh, well, I get really worked up about it. <laughs> Just <Yeah>. like Marie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well,
0: I, I can understand why. I can definitely understand why. Um, uh, kind of want to move away from that. And because okay. uh, I know, because I know, I know we're, we're starting to run out of time here. Um, but uh, You know, you said that he really didn't care what happened to PRS after his death.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And I know that you also mentioned that academia didn't really take him seriously. Yeah. And And I know that Ronnie actually went to college and one of his initial goals, it seemed, was to try to bring legitimacy to the things that Manly Palmer Hall was uh, writing about and teaching, Mm -hmm. Uh, did did it bother him um, that he wasn't taken seriously by academia? I don't think it bothered him a bit. Okay. No. Yeah, Um, that was my sense.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I think that it's it's sort of like this. Um, They're doing what they do. I'm doing what I do. Mm -hmm. I'm good with what I do. If they're good with what they do, that's good for them. Yeah. I'll do what I'm doing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: This is my good work. And um, I try to do the best I can and I help people. Ah, let's hear academics say that.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I find it refreshing. And I was wondering what it would be like for him now. Um, There's a move for many people. Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to avoid my own kind of rant here. Um, good but, <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, academia is poison and a good friend of mine who also has been in academia. She always likes to quote, uh, Kurt Vonnegut with this. Um, oh. and so excuse my language, but I think that the, his line was that academia has its head shoved up its own ass um, and that's pretty accurate, yeah, I think. That, yeah. Um, and, it can be like that. Yeah. And I've noticed a movement, you know, uh, you know right now, like 75%, 70 to 75% of college instructors are part timers uh, <laughs> with no job security, no benefits. Uh, and I'm, I'm one of them. And I've noticed this movement of scholars just leaving academia altogether and setting up YouTube channels, (laughs) right? Um, And it seems like in this atmosphere, I I was wondering about that, about it it seems like Manly Palmer Hall could flourish in this.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, this is a difference. You know, academia is, don't call it a nut, don't call it academia, Um, but do you want to be smart? Or do you want to be wise? Mm-hmm. Okay. Smart is great, but wise is better. Mm-hmm. You can you can, you know, there's book knowledge and then there's wisdom, experience. And people do fe- feel or know or or experience the difference. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I mean I can't say. Because on a level, I I, I love um, study, mm-hmm. and I I love people who are um, learned in their subjects. I think there there's few things as as marvelous as a teacher explaining something you're interested in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it, it, I cherish that, um, but. It does have to have a usefulness, I think. Again, it it, it comes down: is it useful? Right. So, you know, I felt that way with with Marie's work an awful lot. It's like, yeah, uh, Francis Bacon wrote the Shakespeare plays. That does does not change anything for me. Hmm. Um, it's an interesting theory. It would be interesting if it happened but it's not going to change anything. But if I understand um, certain scientific facts, that could change my perception of a lot of stuff. So there's got to be a beauty in it for someone. Somehow.
0: Yeah, no, no, I agree. And I I feel like that, you know, especially in also,
1: you've got to remember, a lot of academics helped me edit this book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) These are some brilliant women that helped yeah. me with this book, and and so those are teachers. And like I mm-hmm. said, there there are a few things I hold in higher esteem than a teacher. Yeah. Um, it's but you know your teachers will come in all forms. Maybe sure. they're learned in studies. Maybe they're martial arts teachers. Maybe they're philosophical, mm-hmm. um, but they're teachers, and the, teachers are a treasure.
0: Yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how to express this so well, but you know, one of the things that I think about, you know, because I've got, you know, background in both philosophy and religious studies. And for me, philosophy, I have a love hate relationship with it. And <laughs> I think that I'm kind of like you where it's like, yes, I can get some of this, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I want something that's practical. So I am far more interested in questions of how should I live? How can I be happy Mm -hmm. versus some of this? I mean, truly kind of esoteric stuff. That's not even meant to be esoteric. Someone (laughs) writing a 500 page screed on a paragraph from Kant. Yeah. Uh, You know, I remember looking at doctoral programs and I was looking at the titles of dissertations that students were doing and, Nine out of ten of them made me feel dead inside. So, <laughs> I, I, so I appreciate your comments because it seems like, you know, yeah, there are teachers and there's philosophy, but somehow it has been murdered <laughs> in a way or twisted beyond all recognition. Um, and so, I that's why I personally see the value and what manly palmer hall was doing and i really don't care actually
1: what you're describing is basically a marie moment Uh. and marie would turn around and say oh papa you you it's just dusty old books by dusty old men with dusty Mm. old ideas you need something new something that's vital you know Mm. so yeah there you go um When uh, old dust eaters, as she'd also <laughs> call them, them, apparently the masons were all, often under fire for that dusty right. old masons in particular. Yeah,
2: yeah. Why, and I, I
1: think th- it's just because of that that limited mindset, just repeating the same thing over yeah. and over, and th- yeah, yeah. that's called a, a a religion or a way of life, or, right, right, or an intelligent thought for that matter. Mm-hmm. You're just being a parrot at that time, yeah. and I've met a lot of parrots that are a lot more creative. Mm-hmm. You know, they know how to use Siri. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's value to some of the old ideas, but it's um oh, there not are. in all of them. Not yeah. in all of
1: them. <laughs> go and read some Aristotle. uh uh-huh. read Plotinus on the beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to you want to have your heart lifted into the stratosphere, Plotinus on the beautiful. That that's where you want to go.
0: Okay. Yeah. Plotinus is on my list. I need to read some Plotinus.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. 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 (laughs) yeah.
0: All right. So uh, just a couple more questions for you, because I know we're uh, almost out of time here. Um, Wait. And
1: before, before I sign off on that, but just understand that the Masons are really nice guys. Okay. Marie was just being rough. Okay. She she was German. She was a little bit rough. Right. Um, but not that the, I met a lot of very nice Masons. Mm-hmm. Okay. When I was at PRS, <laughs> they're very right. nice people.
0: Yeah. 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 I interviewed a Mason uh, a while back and uh, he happened to be in town giving a lecture at a, uh, Masonic Temple in South Pasadena. So we actually got together for lunch and uh he, he was a very pleasant person. <laughs> Aren't they lovely? They yeah. they
1: actually are lovely.
0: <laughs> yeah Yeah. Well, and I think that with any society that has a secret aspect to them, that mm-hmm. there's always going to be rumors and rumors of oh, rumors about them.
1: Yeah. They just they happen to like to have their their meetings, you know, yeah. and like, oh well they they must be doing something sinister in there. Yeah, they're having coffee and discussing books. Right. You know, should we really be into Thomas Taylor? I don't know. You know, it's it's he's yeah. not really that good. Well, I didn't get accredited. <laughs> you know, yeah, geez. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, what I, I may know the answer to this, um, but I'm going to go ahead and ask the question anyway. What do you think that Manly Palmer Hall would hope that his legacy would be?
1: that people would be excited about understanding the ancient wisdom that philosophers and dusty old masons and all those types had brought forward to this point to know that you can find wisdom in all those those conversations and all those writings and all those teachings, that those, those things can give you a beautiful way of approaching your own life right now that makes it so much lovelier to be here. And even when you're confronted with what seems like insurmountable odds, which is the challenge of every soul that incarnates on this plane, there are ways of getting through it and not being damaged by it, but actually um, built up building back better. (laughs) <laughs> um good one president biden um that's a good one um there are things that that we can be taught that have been taught through time that will always sustain us even in our darkest moments
0: yeah the, the, those timeless truths mm-hmm. yeah and the truth
1: uh, will always come through
0: right And that's, and that's the value of those dusty old books. Exactly. Um, By the way, she made dusty old books. too. (laughs) Yeah. I found them on Amazon. (laughs) Uh, uh, I I do want to ask you this question. Hopefully it's not going to take us too much over time, but I was curious. Uh, You you left PRS and uh, you and your husband started a band. Yeah. Uh, And you wrote in the book. Uh, you describe your venture into music as a metaphysical experiment. Yeah, and I was wondering, what did you mean by that?
1: Well, um, as we proceeded through our new beginning in music, it of course brought up a lot of you know personal issues. You know how how do you how do you be a, a couple in music, which seemed really not the right thing to do. Um, How do we bring in this this idea of um, the equality of male, female life experience? How do you bring that into music? Um, All these things. And then at the same time, while we were pondering these um, metaphysical issues, we ended up landing right in the middle of a particular style of music that was addressing the equality between the sexes of um, uh, uh, patriarchy um, how it how it affects women and and all that riot girl and in process of becoming um, a musician I found I could suddenly where I could not before express myself fully in fact and, and do it in a comfortable way for me which was Either being um, almost a romanticized version um, fairy tale books, so writing songs and songwriting, I could either go for the fairy tale style style song, the pretty song, um, or I could do you know a two minute punk song that was just an absolute you know a two minute stand up comedy routine um, lambasting patriarchy. And it was absolutely hilariously good fun. Um, I I don't think I've ever laughed so hard in my life. Um, is, is you know, always being able to write punk songs was like one of the most fun things ever. Hmm. Um, not knowing how to play guitar, and this is the guitar playing I'm putting behind these weird words, <laughs> and it was completely acceptable. In fact, it was very well received and understood. And that was the beauty of it. It, it, it became, you know, I, I love to equate the thing that I learned from Riot Girl, which was um, because most of the women in Riot Girl, the girls in Riot Girl, were girls coming from abusive situations. They'd experienced abuse, oppression, violence, all that nasty stuff that goes with the patriarchy. And um, even being in music was. Uh, defying a patriarchal rule. And when we did this, when we we took up that, that all right, I'm going to shout the loud, funny words, and I'm going to use amplification. When we did that, we were actually reaching back. Here's the psychology behind it. Um, we were actually reaching back to the child before the child was abused. Mm. And we were learning to play we were learning to have our childhood again, reclaiming the the damaged child and rebuilding the damaged child into a healthy human being, a healthy adult woman. Um, that's why it was called "Girl." Mm-hmm. Um, we were grown ups. We knew we were grown ups, but we were reclaiming the child that that had been hurt, and that was part of it. Um, so we got to be as as you know. Aggro as we wanted to be. And there was a lot of aggro to deal with. That was musical therapy, I would call it. You know, I learned to stand up and speak for myself. I learned to defend myself. Um, You know, here's a little tie in. I learned to call out people that I thought were bad Mm. and stand there and go, yeah, prove that you're not because I know you are.
2: Mm. And
1: I did that publicly. Um, I called people out from stage that. Five minutes before I'd been harassing me in the parking lot and they thought they were going to get away with it. And in fact, what happened was they got called out right where they stood and they backed off. I didn't. And that was really great. That's redemption in a, in a way, psychologically, that is redemption. So little fun things like that. Sure,
2: sure. And
1: that's kind of, that's kind of an alchemical feat right there. To take base metal and turn it into gold. Um, To take a terrible situation, face it, know that you're facing it, and turn it around.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, beautifully said. And I really admire the uh, creativity and the empowerment that you embody in your work, Um, both in the writing, and I have watched some of the uh, Lucid Nation videos as well. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I, I didn't say it was song. pretty. <laughs> I love a good punk song every now and then. Um, That's good it, for the soul. It is. It's very good for the soul. Exactly. And it, and it's so authentic, I think. Uh, also, the
1: punk's, uh, you know, very underestimated wit.
0: Yeah, That's what I always
1: sure. feel so bad about. It's like, mm-hmm. these guys were funny. Yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. So um, what what's next for you?
1: Uh, well, we have a couple more books coming out. Okay we're waiting for this pesky bug to go away so we can get back with our musicians. Cause you know, musicians like to work in the same room. That's, that's
2: mm-hmm.
1: kind of a thing. Um, um, Ronnie has a book coming out in next year in next year.
0: Yes. Can you, <laughs> I'm a can writer. <laughs> you see, can you see what the book is?
1: It is called American metaphysical religion, hmm. a mystical magical mystery tour. And then after that, we have, um, in 23, um, uh, a reboot of the hymns of Orpheus that we did in, um, the book that I wrote. All
0: right. Well, uh, when these books come out, I will have to have Ronnie on and have you back on. Uh, Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Uh, so one final question is where okay. can people go to find out more about you and your work? Do you have a website or.
1: Working on the website. Okay. on
0: Facebook,
1: got Twitter, Instagram, okay. and um, yeah, they can get the book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, the bookstores, I guess it's, I guess it's everywhere really.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, I'll put the link uh, for the book on inner traditions, uh, the publisher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I usually, if they have it, I will usually put the link for bookshop.org yeah. Um, uh, because uh, no one needs to buy anything from Amazon because Jeff Bezos is already too rich um, <laughs> uh, and uh, if I can I'll find your uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and I can put links to those as well uh, awesome. in, in the show notes in the video description on YouTube thank you all right well Tamara thank you so much for your time today it has been a true pleasure speaking with you oh thank you Nicholas And that's a wrap on episode 24 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you are part of my YouTube audience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It only takes a second and your five-star ratings really do help. If you have a minute to spare, consider posting a short positive review and please consider subscribing. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. I've been releasing episodes weekly and would like to continue doing so. I'm also working on creating additional video content for the YouTube channel, including book reviews, educational videos on topics concerning spirituality, the history of religion, and the religious response to the climate crisis. But that extra content takes a lot of time and work. If you would like to support me in creating free and credible material on YouTube and continuing with the podcast, please consider making a one-time donation via PayPal. You can find a link for that in the video description or show notes. Your support makes my work possible. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time... May you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit.